Welcome to episode 30 of You Are Not A Frog. Moral injury hurts. These are really difficult times. The coronavirus crisis has come upon us really quickly and it's hard to know what's going to happen, how we'll all respond and when it's going to end. Now, I often describe doctors as feeling a bit like frogs in boiling water. The pan has been heating up very slowly, but over the last few weeks, boy, has the pan heated up really, really quickly. Now, frogs only have two options, to jump out of the pan or to burn out. I still believe that you are not a frog. Even in these difficult times, you have choices and there are small things you can do to keep yourself mentally healthy, to manage your anxiety and to work in a sustainable and resilient way so that we can be in it for the long haul. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turned executive coach and specialist in resilience in the workplace for people in high stress jobs such as doctors. And I'll be talking to friends and colleagues and experts, all who have a helpful take on what's going on and who can share the best resources so that you can look after yourself, make good choices and thrive even through the most challenging of times. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. You can also download CPD forms to help you reflect on what you've just heard in the podcast to make this as useful for you as possible. Now, this is the third episode of the COVID-19 Supporting Doctors podcast that I'm doing with Dr. Caroline Walker, otherwise known as a Joyful Doctor. In this episode, we are talking about moral injury, something that has been in the press recently. I hope you enjoy this discussion. And once again, if you have any comments or questions or there's anything you'd like us to cover, then please get in touch and we'll do our best to find the very best resources for you on with the episode. So it's great to be back here on the podcast with Dr. Caroline Walker. This is I think, the third episode that we've done together now, all about supporting doctors through the COVID crisis. Caroline, do introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Walker. I'm a psychiatrist and specialise in doctors' wellbeing. I founded the Joyful Doctor, which is an organisation that's all about kind of helping doctors with their wellbeing. Thank you. And I'm Rachel Morris. I'm a GP and executive coach and I specialise in resilience in the workplace. I'm the host of the You Are Not A Frog podcast and I also run an organisation which specialises in, in well-being in the workplace for doctors and other professionals in high stress jobs. So we have a training course called the Shapes Toolkit. So we have been talking a lot about well, the mental health of doctors and staff on the front line and how we manage our stress and anxiety. Uh, the last one was about how we deal with our anger, our sadness and our grief through the crisis. And we're gonna keep putting these episodes out. We've had some great feedback from people that they've been very helpful. And what we wanted to discuss today was the concept of moral injury. 
There was a BMJ paper out just a few days ago talking about this. And, you know, I thought that it would be really good for us to explore it and work out actually what is it that, that we can do to, well, either prevent it or if we can't prevent it, to minimise the effects on us. So, Caroline, you know a lot more about this than I do. What is moral injury exactly? Well, moral injury is a, a relatively recent term. It's only really been around since the 1990s. And there's still a lot of kind of debate about what, like a particular definition for it. But essentially, it's what happens when we witness something or we can't stop something from happening that goes against one of our deeply held moral beliefs. So we're seeing a lot of this, obviously, at the moment with COVID-19 doctors who are primarily you know really wanting to put patient care first but having to make some really quite difficult decisions about rationing care or perhaps not giving the care that they would like to be giving for various reasons so yeah it's, it's essentially when something happens we either witness something or we we can't stop it from happening or we're, we're making it worse ourselves we're somehow contributing to it something that goes against something that's really you know an important belief um, system for us so even though it's a new concept, I presume that it's been happening for, for decades and for donkey's yeah. years. Yeah, absolutely. I think since, since human beings have been around, you know, any, I think we've experienced it, but I think it came to light as an idea um, through the sort of 20th century with the world wars and, and the later wars like the Vietnam War and stuff. It became a sort of more talked about concept amongst sort of the military. But in recent years, it's been talked about more and more in, in healthcare settings because it's obviously a very common thing that happens for uh, healthcare staff. So before COVID, was it happening a lot? Or, you know, what's your, what's your concept on how much yeah. it was happening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it happens in everyday practice, I think, unfortunately, in healthcare. And there's some sort of suggestion now that it may be linked to burnout. And there's quite a lot of crossover with trauma and PTSD. And I think we're still trying to understand, you know, where it kind of fits and what it means for us and how we can best help ourselves. But it's absolutely something that we're seeing really front and centre in the current COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, and I guess there's all sorts of reasons for that aren't they and it's not just about I guess those ITU decisions about who do we resuscitate who don't we which just must be the most difficult thing but it's also just those little things I think in the not being able to give the, the same care I know for GPs everyone's had to go to video and telephone and whereas you'd once bring someone in and examine them properly and be able to spend I guess a bit more time with them or you know at least some sort of face-to-face contact we can't do that anymore and so you know it's even getting hard to to do blood tests at the moment and things like that so actually things that before were absolutely set in stone that you must do this every week or every month with patients we we just can't do so it's not just the acute stuff it's the some of the chronic disease management that we were once told this is really important and now it's sort of all gone out the window yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of us have gone into medicine because we want to care for people. So it's a really fundamental part of our psychological makeup, you know, to, to do the very best we can for our patients. And then that's kind of instilled in us throughout our medical training. And then we take an oath, don't we? A Hippocratic oath to do no harm. So then when we're faced with that situation where we're perhaps having to withhold care from somebody that we know in other circumstances we could give that care to, 
it's really, really, really difficult, very, very, very emotionally straining. And what I'm seeing is it's happening, as you say, in really subtle ways all the time already. So I was speaking to a GP this week who their practice, like many, has had to kind of reconfigure itself, join up with local practices to think about how they fight against COVID at this time. And so out of hours, a lot of her patients are being seen by other GPs. So these are people she knows really well, that she's cared for for many years and has a relationship with. And she wants to be the one making those decisions for those people at those crucial points in their journey, you know, whether they get care or not. And, but it's, hap- it's being done by other people. So there's these things happening. She's witnessing, you know, these choices being made about these patients that she cares for and she hasn't got the agency to step in or do anything about that so it doesn't even have to be something that you're you are directly involved with it can be something you just is happening in your kind of sphere of you know influence with your patients you normally see so yeah I think you're right I think it's happening in lots of really subtle little ways and I think it has this kind of eroding effect over time that it really starts to wear us down you know doctors we've all been trained and all probably had to break bad news at some point had to sit with families and explain to them why we couldn't save their loved ones but doctors right now going through this challenge are going to have to be doing that day in day out repeatedly over and over and over again and I think that's going to be really really quite challenging for most. So how would you spot if you've had a moral injury or you know is it something that you really feel at the time and then you start getting symptoms or does it build up over a while or I think some of them are really obvious like some of them hit you in the face like this is so wrong I I can't take this I I can't believe I have to say this or not do this or do this or this is happening in front of me and I so some of it we're really aware of and it's quite obvious a lot of it is happening we're not even really aware that's what's happening but we're just left with this slightly uneasy feeling or we kind of get home at the end of the day and And maybe we're, you know, reaching for that glass of wine or the extra glass of wine that we wouldn't normally have or eating a little bit more chocolate or, you know, it'll start to show in our behaviours that something isn't quite right, but we haven't quite noticed it. So I think it's both. I think I think we'll see some of it, but we won't see all of it. So I think having a a kind of a quite sensitive radar on at the moment to just be like, oh, is this could this be moral injury? Could this be something that's jarring with me on some level? might be helpful just to be able to name it and acknowledge it I think is quite helpful so that was I guess was my next question is actually what can we do about it and I guess there's the you know we go down the whole medical route you've got to prevent it first you know and then you sort of uh, try and alleviate it and then you treat it if you've got it I don't think we can prevent it I think it is a natural normal part of everyday healthcare anyway and I don't think we we certainly can't prevent the the kind of increased level of of moral injury that we're going to see over the coming weeks and months through COVID-19. I think we can prepare ourselves for it. So I think we can as as a profession, and I think we are doing that to some extent. So there was some guidance released a couple of days ago by a lot of the Royal Colleges have got together and produced this kind of ethical guidance for doctors around, you know, how to make these really quite difficult decisions around patient care. So I think we are starting to look at it and start to kind of acknowledge that it's there. And I think it's not about, you know, this isn't going to happen because it is. It's already happening. Uh, We can't stop it from happening. But I think it's about preparing ourselves, saying this is happening, having strong kind of leadership. I think as medical leaders, we need to be saying this is happening and it's okay, and we're in this together. 
we are all experiencing this this is not something that we need to hold as individual doctors and practitioners because i think that's where it can get really quite damaging for the if the individual feels like it's their fault or it's something that's it's their doing if they take personal responsibility which a lot of doctors tend to do and healthcare professionals so i think it's really important that we name it that our leaders kind of are in it with us and say it's okay we're going to do this together and the guidance that is coming out and, and what we've learned from over the years of what helps with facing moral injury is yeah, just don't do it alone you know don't mm. don't hold this on your own do this together walk it through if you want to with someone share the decisions yeah i think that idea of sharing the decisions is really important and guidance because i can imagine if you have really black and white guidance that says this is what you've got to do and this is why here's the rationale behind it that you know actually maybe withholding treatment treatment probably would have been futile anyway or it was unlikely you know so you can understand the decision you're making there's clear guidance so someone else has made that decision for you so you're then following the clear as long as you trust the source of the guidance I guess as long as it's you know that it's been really thought about in an ethical way and they've looked at the population I'm guessing that must be a lot easier than having to make a decision just on your own on the back of oh crumbs what feels like the right thing to do yeah I mean I think the guidance that at the moment is saying you know we have to still make individualized decisions here as in for the the individual patient but that we make those decisions as a team so we talk about them and we discuss them and and what they're trying to do certainly in the ITU situations is to have ITU on those sorts of life and death withdrawing or withholding treatment because those doctors and and nurses are used to those sorts of decisions and then helping make those sorts of decisions and thinking about the complexities involved yeah so i think it's it's a kind of a mixture it's about saying each individual case is is still important to think about uh, but don't make that decision about that one case on your own you know do that do it as a team so get support do it as a team what about for people who are I'm just thinking of doctors manning the 111 helplines and GPs on their own in surgeries doing video. So they don't necessarily have a group of people on their own to help them, sorry, a group of people around them to help make these decisions. What do you say to them? Well, I would say actually you probably do have some support around you that you can access and use. So everybody in these situations will have access to you know, supervisors will have peers and colleagues in the room next door or sitting on the phone next to them. Or, And it, it may be that you're not able to sort of talk about something in that moment. But when you step away or you take a break, you know, there are always people that you can talk to if you feel able to. So if something's just happened that's really not sat well with you and you're just feeling like this is really unfair and I can't bear this and I, you know, just share that and talk with whoever's there and whoever you feel mm. you know safe to talk with. And so it might not be that you've got somebody literally stood next to you making that decision while you're speaking to the person on the phone. But when you put the phone down, you can, you know, then go and talk through what the decision you've made. And that's going to help you because these aren't going to be isolated incidents. You know, these are going to be things that people are having to face and to think about many, many times a day for many days on end over weeks and weeks. So even if you haven't had a chance to kind of reflect in the moment on that particular case, it's always worth having a think or chat with someone about it outside of that, because then you, it can help you for the next time. Yeah. So it might be 
good to jot down the things that you need to talk to somebody about. Yeah. So I'm thinking actually a lot of GPs now are actually working from home. So they're doing yeah. remote consulting. They don't even have yeah. anyone in the same building, yeah. but they're also busy that what they're not doing is making sure that they regularly get a, a check-in chat with their colleagues. Yeah. Well, we talk about this quite a lot, don't we, Rachel? Mm. We recommend teams do these, do put in check-in chats and a lot of medical teams are having a lot of success at the moment with having little yeah. online like Zoom meetings for five minutes, 10 minutes at the beginning, end of a shift. Because I think it's so, so important that we still maintain that team approach so that, again, you don't feel isolated and like you're the only one that's carrying this burden. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think it's important in, when you think back to normal life, you think back to pre-COVID, certainly GPs, a lot of GPs have got out of the habit of the regular coffee break, the regular chat together, the, the regular debrief, because they were just so, so busy. And it's the one thing that I've been banging on about, you know, the importance of this. And, you know, and now I know that it's actually important in moral injuries, sort of, got even more important yeah 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 I'm often asked you know what's a joyful doctor what's joyful doctor all about and one of the things that I've noticed as I've gone about you know working with doctors over over the years is the happiest doctors or the most well doctors mentally and emotionally speaking are the ones that have those things in place have those regular check-ins have that sense of you know normal human connection to their peers and to their colleagues and that's a day-to-day practice but also kind of regularly outside of it as well you know maybe having a a group of two or three people that you really trust and like that you you do a zoom call with once every couple of weeks or something or you know those things are even more important now yeah i think with the sheer volume of these sorts of experiences that we're going to be going through as doctors yeah i get it You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz 100% agree so connection one of you know my well-being resiliency protective factors is the number one factor it's got the most evidence behind it and actually there's a lot of evidence that not only does it help you debrief and I guess help sort of prepare and prevent moral injury but actually helps with productivity you know that the teams that chat together regularly and have informal interactions are the teams that actually perform perform the best so there's all sorts of reasons why we need to have these chats and we've got some guidance on those and I'll put that in the show notes as well so people Mm. can download on how to have that so back to moral injury so we're talking about how to prepare for it so you're talking about some ethical guidance that's come out you talked about strong leadership you've talked about naming it you know saying this is what's going to happen and being prepared for it and being in it together so don't do it alone so talk things through and have discussions is there anything else we can do to prepare ourselves for this I mean I think at this stage the this kind of first acute phase of the first few weeks and the first couple of months of COVID the most important things are still the very basic physical needs 
actually um so you know making sure that we're well rested that we've got the protection we need that we feel safe so i would say at the moment don't you know we don't need anything particularly fancy i think it's about keeping ourselves feeling physically and emotionally safe i think it's worth knowing at this stage that if you develop problems down the line with this sort of issue so if you're really preoccupied by the the moral injury type experiences if you're feeling really traumatized if you're feeling um you know you start to get increasingly low mood or or problems um ever in a more general way with your mental health then there is support out there for you so most of us it's important to remember will experience some unsettled mental health type symptoms through this covid period most of us will feel a little bit stressed a bit hyper aroused, you might have some trouble sleeping, or we might be a bit preoccupied, you know, well, most of us will have some low level symptoms, and they will tend to settle down over a few weeks to a couple of months. But for a few of us, they'll get more kind of severe, persistent problems. And that is absolutely okay. And there is help out there for you for that. So if you're finding that you need that little bit more support, then please know there is there is support out there for you. There's going to be some signposting, uh, some announcements in the next 24 to 48 hours about national level support for frontline staff. So keep your eyes peeled for that and we'll be flagging that up everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if you're following either Rachel or I on any of social media platforms or these webinars, we'll be flagging that up as well. But there's going to be a lot of support out there. There's a lot of need for mental health support at the moment but it's being met by a lot of people who are working really hard to make sure that that need is met and there is support for those who need it. So if someone was to contact and want some support what would they expect in terms of if you're giving them support for, for moral injury is it the sort of post-traumatic stress syndrome type treatment? Yeah so it's going to vary depending on the individual and what their situation is and I think for most of us what we'll probably need is just a bit of a safe space to just talk and share our story of what we've seen and what we've had and how we're feeling and for most of us that'll be enough you know just a sort of safe environment in which to just kind of offload to vent to to share our feelings to feel heard and to have that normalized and and for most that will be enough for some i think it's important they're going to need that little bit more support and they'll need to be assessed individual by individual because for some it will be maybe they might have a more anxiety based picture which is kind of supported and treated one way for others there might be like a ptsd or post-traumatic stress disorder type picture that that's treated another way and for others it might be more grief or you know other mental health problems so it's i think it's important that we sort of normalize most people's reactions and provide a sort of general safe place that people can go and just share and talk and and get some sort of basic level of of human you know compassion and support and then for those that have got perhaps more severe or persistent symptoms to have a proper sort of assessment by an experienced individual by a health service that's set up for that in particular so that we can find out what is it exactly that's going on for you so we can make sure you get the right treatment because it's going to be a different approach for different people needed. Yeah. So just the message to people is really get support where you need it. Yeah. No point soldiering on your own thinking I'll be fine. We'll just just wait for this to go away. It'll, it'll, It'll be okay. And at this stage, I think mostly that's going to be, you know, talking to your colleague in, in the five minute break that you managed to snatch, you know, in between your crazy busy shift or talking to, you know, your loved ones when you get home, talking to a friend or, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be professional. It can be that kind of 
you know, just everyday support, I think is really important that we value that and use that. But if, if you're needing or you want a, a sort of a space with a professional, then there's, there are going to be support services out there. And I'd signpost doctors and, and in fact, all frontline staff at the moment to the Practitioner Health uh, website. So practitionerhealth.nhs.uk. They have a COVID resource page and that's being updated every day. And they'll have the national response stuff on there once it's announced. So yeah, if you, if you can eye on that page, that should signpost you pretty well to what you need. So, Carolyn, if you were a team leader, so I know a lot of our listeners are A&E consultants or IT consultants or they're leading within a a GP practice. What things would you say, right, let's get this in place over the next few days to Mm -hmm. try and help with all of this stuff? What's the really helpful stuff? So I think you cannot underestimate the very simple, very human role modelling. So even just, I mean, we're all kind of disconnected at the moment working in different environments, even just a little email just saying, we know this is a really tough time and we're all in this together. You know, I think it's those simple things we often overlook. And as doctors, we're often looking for those sort of the fancy resources we can signpost to and the, the step-by-step things that we can kind of go through to kind of cope. And we miss those, we forget to do those really simple little things, to just share, to just say, God, this is really tough, isn't it? But, you know, we are in this together. And if anyone's struggling, please let me know. You know, that yeah. that stuff is priceless and mm. will probably hold most of your team, actually, without them needing much more sophisticated input. Just knowing that somebody is thinking about them, that somebody cares, you know, that they're not being taken for granted, that they're being valued, that they realise that this is really tough. And, and using words like we rather than you, you know, you might be struggling, you this, you know, it's actually no we we might because we're all in this together from the you know very bottom of the hierarchy right to the top yeah. this is a great leveler this experience isn't it so yeah. i think start with those things the really basic things yeah and then you can look at building in you know i know a lot of trusts and teams are building in website pages resources mm. you know it's fantastic as well yeah. yeah, but don't forget those those really yeah. simple human touches. Yeah, and I, I would sort of offer a word of caution as well because I've been coaching a few sort of leaders who have just exhausted themselves yeah. by trying to support their team. So they are so compassionate and so amazing that they're, yeah. you know, making themselves uber available to their team, yeah. which, which is absolutely yeah. fantastic. But it's taking all their time and it's very draining, yeah. draining for them. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday about how they can put in some boundaries around yeah. that. And she ended up saying, actually, that the check-in chat would actually cover quite a lot of the one-to-one yeah things yeah, you yeah. know and, and if you do a regular check-in chat maybe just every day once or twice a day just five minutes with the whole of the team yeah then actually you know the team can start supporting each other and I think sometimes we forget yeah. to use yeah. use each other and the leader feels it's all on them to support everyone else absolutely I think it's about getting strategic about how you yes. use your time and your resource so yeah. keeping it human so that it feels like you're connecting on a really one-to-one level but actually like I've been using a lot of when I've offered somebody some support by email for example I'll then copy and paste that and I'll make that into like a almost like a template that then I can send to other people so I'm not typing out the same thing all the time and you build those little systems you know and you you need signposting and I think my feeling is for the for leaders is you know 
role model it and let people then will get on with it because because most people will are naturally wonderfully compassionate and supportive mm-hmm. of each other in healthcare given permission yeah. to be that way so yeah yeah i think it's setting the example and then yeah as you say kind of empowering your team to look after each other and yeah. themselves and so you might need to put some structure in around that you might yeah. need to say right every day at x here's these two times we're going to do the check-in chats here's the zoom link this is what we're doing and even if you can't be on all of them that's oh. been set up it, and leaders need to go on those check-in chats yes 100 percent. if they there just leave no it to point. the teams yeah. yeah yeah i once attended a mindfulness course actually where the ceo came but they only came for the first one yeah and it the message that sent was so powerful it was like you're kind of in the the but no we're not really because I'm too busy (laughs) and it just yeah so I think it's really worth thinking about how you're showing up as a leader actually yeah Yeah. I delivered resilience training for a team where the team leaders just sat out at the back on their laptop and let the team it's been like yeah really (laughs) yeah yeah and it's hard because we're all busy we're all stretched right and I think so it's about if you can build in enough headspace for yourself to just even think about your processes around this stuff, it's going to help. Yeah. Mm. So where can you delegate? How can you have the smallest intervention, but with the most impact? Yeah. And I think with leaders, it's, that's interesting about the delegation because as a leader, your Jedi skill might not be sort of supports you know pastoral support and so if that isn't your jedi skill find the person in your department who it is yeah get them to do it but make sure you're 100 percent behind it and attending all the stuff and really pushing it forwards yeah and also helping them as you said not to get sucked in to to delivering it all themselves Yeah. yeah we're much more effective i've done a lot of work with doctors over the last two or three weeks to help them to take a step back because we tend as doctors to kind of rush in, don't we? And just be like, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. It'll help with this, it'll help with this. And actually, we're much more effective. If like, you know, when you go to a CPR training, you know, what's the first thing you do? You don't jump in and start doing CPR. You look at the situation yeah. and you think, is it safe? Yeah. And I think that's what we need to be doing at the moment. We need to be stepping back and going, okay, let's see the bigger picture here. COVID mm. isn't going anywhere. These staff are going to be struggling for a long time. You know, it's not about what I do today. It's about what we do every day for the next few weeks and months. And what could I do today that's like a little tiny thing? Maybe just send one email that just says, look, we're thinking about you. And we're putting together some resources. So they know it's happening. They feel kept in mind. They've got a safe place to come if they are struggling to get signposted. And then you set those processes up that are going to mm. kind of hold people in the, in the weeks and months to come. Yeah. I think it's so important to be strategic about this. You know, just as you have a plan for your department or your practice about hot sites, cold sites, how you're going to do the infection control, you need to have a plan about how you're going to do the well-being control. As it were, and it's never been more important than now. This is, I mean, more and more I'm seeing this is a mental health crisis as much as it is a physical health crisis. Absolutely. And if we don't think about how we respond and we just fall into those habits like doctors of just give, 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 we are going to fall apart and and that's going to help nobody. So yeah, we have to kind of look after our own well-being first and then, yeah, 
Yeah. So we have some resources that can help. We've developed, a, there's a, a team wellbeing toolkit. So if you want to download that, do. It's got information about how to have a check-in chat, some basic physical workplace stuff, some stuff about the ABC of taking, of being active, taking a break and connecting. That's, I think you should, you're basic yeah. team well-being stuff and then some sort of rules about coping with covid and there's some other resources caroline yeah we'll out. be putting out a resource pack in the next week or so yeah. um some posters you can print up and put around yeah. your workspace or send around electronically so yeah if you're following us on any of the social media channels or on either of our websites you'll be hearing all about those yes we'll make those available to you in the yeah. show notes link and just you know i think well, I'm gonna, I'll ask you in a second, Caroline, if you could do one thing. My, if you could do one thing, it's put in those regular team check-ins. And where you're focusing not on the, how you're managing the illness of COVID and stuff, but you're focusing on the well-being of the team. And you ask your four question, which is, how are you really? What's worrying you at the moment? What's going well? And what do you need? Those four questions will just allow people to open up. You don't need to solve them. You're not there to... Say, oh, okay, we'll do this for you. You're just there to, everyone's there to listen and acknowledge. So that's my, if you do one thing, you do this. What's yours? If you do one thing, do this, Caroline. I think mine is just don't do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it matters who you take it to or who you, you know, share it with, but whether it's in person with your loved one at home or a colleague at work or a professional or you on social media or connecting with people, just not doing it on your own not carrying this extraordinary experience and this burden on your own because we're not in this alone we are in this together this yeah. is happening to all of us and as a profession we're sharing that yeah that burden. And just a note on that don't do it alone i think it's really helpful to connect with friends and colleagues and family and stuff but actually in circumstances like this you do need to connect with people that are going through the same sort of thing yeah because I think it's very difficult for people that aren't just sort of at home, they're not seeing the same stuff as you. They're not yep. going to have quite the same experience and they can't quite share that with you. Do yeah. you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think both can be really helpful. But yeah, yeah absolutely. It's nothing like somebody who gets it yeah. to share a burden with. So, And there are a lot of us out there that get it. I think pretty much every NHS frontline staff is, member is going to be experiencing similar things so okay great well caroline thank you again for sharing your wisdom with us we'll put links to how you can get hold of caroline how you can get hold of me how you can get hold of our resources if this has been helpful for you then please share it with other people please feel free to share it widely post it on whatever websites you like we're here we want to be providing as many helpful resources as we can so please get in contact with us if there's something you'd like us to cover that we haven't already covered we can certainly do that and uh, you'll certainly be hearing from us again pretty soon yeah so caroline thank you my pleasure thanks for having me cheers bye thanks for listening if you've enjoyed the podcast then please share it with your colleagues share it with your friends and i would really really appreciate a review I'd love to hear your comments and questions, so either email me or join my Shapes Collective Facebook group where you can post your comments and your suggestions and I also post loads of useful articles. So I hope you can join me for the next episode.